Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect with Beautiful Disaster. These are the stories of our tribe. They are important, powerful, and will undoubtedly change you. Okay, so we're we're in, we're in, we're in. Okay. Awesome. First of all, thank you so much for sticking through those technical difficulties and <laughs> being flexible. Um, coming all the way from Australia, it's a pretty amazing that we can just press a couple of buttons and be on mm -hmm. Facebook live together. So even though it's not always uh, easy, it's pretty freaking great. <laughs> so Claire, I can't even tell you how excited I am to be on this Facebook live with you. And I'm just so grateful to you for saying yes and for being willing to share yourself and your story with the beautiful disaster tribe. Um, I have a million and one questions. I, Go for it. <laughs> I purposely tried not to research too much so that mm -hmm. I could just listen to your story and ask the natural questions and also ask questions on behalf of the audience that um, is joining in with us today. So please, um, introduce yourself, tell us, you know, who you are, where you're coming to us live from, and um, a little bit about the story that you're about to share with us. And, and again, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, well, my name is Claire Ashman. I live in Brisbane, Australia, and recently we've had a lot of fires, as you would have seen yeah. on the news, but um, ourselves we weren't threatened but we've had a lot of rain recently which has made it very humid so um that's been a little bit painful yeah. um my growing up well I've only lived in Brisbane for the last uh seven years I was brought up in country Victoria and mm -hmm. then uh that was when I grew up in a strict religious uh, well a catholic sect okay. that my mother brought our family into and so I lived there and grew up, lived and grew up there in country Victoria. I moved to Melbourne, which is the capital city of Victoria. And I had already met my husband and then we got married. We lived in Melbourne for a couple of years, but we still attended the church that belonged to the sect. Right. So it was, uh, you know, I was still very Catholic in my thinking and then my husband came to me and said, well, I'm not happy living here. I want to move to the country where I want to live in a community. His family had actually come from Slovenia. So he was used to, well, he had this romantic notion of living in a small village-like atmosphere with the okay. Catholic church as a, as the middle, as like the the overarching like authority I suppose law. yeah right yeah law you know mm -hmm. all of that, that that kind of community feel and he found one he found this so-called community on the south coast of New South Wales which is just below Sydney and he he said okay well we're going to move there and so he literally rang up the real estate agent and got them to put a for sale sign on front of the house that we had in Melbourne and I did not agree to it but because I had had, at that point, I had 
I'd had five children. I had buried yeah. one. She had passed away from heart and kidney disease just after she was born. Oh, God. So basically I'd given birth to five children right. um, with four surviving and they were aged six and under. Mm-hmm. And he just said, he just said, no, because um, I said I didn't feel comfortable about moving. And he basically, because I'd been brought up to be a submissive, you know, w- women are supposed right. to be quiet, they're supposed sure. to be submissive, husband's the head of the house, he earns the money, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I had no self confidence, I had no self esteem, I had no tertiary education, I didn't know my way in the world. And I'd always been taught there was a great shame in being a solo mum. Right. So, and I knew I wouldn't get any support from either family, either side of the family. And so I reluctant, very, very reluctantly yeah. went with him. Off you went, right. right. Yeah. And so we moved there. And I mean, I speak about it in my book. I, we, we moved there and, oh, look, when, when we arrived, there was like these massive, gates like big steel gates at the front of the property and I could see that it was it had barbed wire fences and I felt sick to the pit of my stomach yeah I this is not where I wanted to bring up my children it was a it was a derelict caravan park so um it was very dry had a lot it was in the bush it was it was it wasn't that far out of town but it felt really remote yeah um like it was remote enough to, you know, only get three channels on the TV, for instance. Sure. So it was, and I, yeah, I felt sick to the pit of my stomach, to be honest. Right. And um, so I lived there for 10 years and gave birth to another four children. Wow. Wow. So I know we're, I, I don't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves. So right. first of all, just like me, there's going to be so many viewers that are watching this way that have no idea what a doomsday cult is. And if you can go all the way back, because the first, what, 36, 37 years of your life, you did not know any different. This is how you were raised. So Mm -hmm. if you can go back with us, explain to us what what your environment was like, um, what a doomsday uh, cult is, And if you can begin to start to tell us when you started to figure out that something wasn't right, like that not everybody lives like this. So if you can just go back, explain what it is and and paint us a picture of what those first 37 years were like for you, um, I think we'll begin to have a better understanding of what you've been through. Right. Well, firstly, um, I grew up in a sect. So a sect is, generally speaking, a break away from a mainstream, a mainstream church. Okay. So you, you can have a sect which is a break away from the Catholic Church, Anglican Church, something like that. So they they affiliate generally um, the sect uh, a sect will affiliate with most of the beliefs of the church that they have broken away from, but their beliefs are much more extreme. Okay. So. I I was brought up as a very strict Catholic pre-1962, so before the changes in the church. So that is the time where women did not wear pants. They did not wear 
They did not wear bikinis. They wore their hair long. They wore scarves on their head when they went to church. They were submissive to their husbands. The husbands were the head of the house. They earned the money. Basically, the women were, you know, had the children and smiled sweetly. And right, you're to be kept the house, not heard. Heard, basically, right. yes. Right. Now, um, so and. For me, I was also homeschooled. So mum insisted that there was not going to be any outside influences. Mm. So when the TV blew up when I was four, because that was when she changed, um, dad wanted another TV. She did not. So we moved out to the country, Victoria, and um, we were on 20 acres. And in fact, my second husband and I, we went out and visited only 18 months ago. And it's so remote that you can't even get a mobile signal not that there was a mobile signal back then yeah right yeah um and I looked at that house and even Mark said to me he said oh my god how did 11 of you fit into that house right and I looked at it and I'm like I have no idea we just did um so so I was homeschooled there was no outside influences um mum was very strict on what came into our house what we read we were taught that there was there's no big bang theory there um were no dinosaurs right um ivf children are like are evil because the devil can inhabit them because they're born without a soul um tertiary education is Mm -hmm. bad because there's so much new thought in university you can lose your faith right so and we were only read like old-fashioned books. Like, I mean, we had we had plenty of reading material, but it was very old-fashioned. Right. And we had to learn our catechism, like the rules and regulations of the Catholic Church and all the beliefs and practices. We had to learn them all off by heart. Yeah. Um, so mum would spend about an hour a day with uh, like indoctrinating us on all the rules and regulations of the Catholic Church, what was a sin, what was a, you know, a whole lot. Right. So that's what I grew up in. So yeah. it was very think when I when I describe it to people, think North Korea. Right. Yeah. Right? So it, very, very sheltered. Very, very sheltered. Yeah. And everything everything is very, very filtered. So what yeah. you get is not the truth. Correct. Um so then after I got married to my first husband, I we moved to we lived in Melbourne in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But still because of my very sheltered upbringing, I didn't have any close friends. I didn't know how to make friendships. I didn't know how to be normal. Right. I was still very strict in my thinking. So um, you know, we were still attending the church. So I was still dressing the same way as how I grew up, like right. long long sleeves, long skirts, scarf on my head when I went to church. Yeah you know, very, you know, I thought it was very timid. Right. Then, so um, now then we move to the cult. So a cult is, the term cult actually comes from the Latin word cultus, which is to cultivate. Right. So it's not really a correct term for a group that is highly controlled. Right. So basically it was highly controlled because, as I mentioned before, we were all on the one property there was 180 of us living on the one property that was 40 acres. It was surrounded by barbed wire fences, padlock gates. Right. And this guy, he was, he was, he was trying to affiliate himself to the Catholic church, but he was doing it not in the right way, but he ended up by getting arrested for pedophilia. So there was a leader, so to speak. So yeah, here, here you are, you, you, you and your husband, you know, reluctantly, 
you you go here because you know you haven't been taught to have a voice you've been taught mm -hmm. the exact opposite so you know begrudgingly you went along with it and here you pull up to this place with these gates and this barbed wire and your heart is breaking and your stomach's churning and you go in and this is a place that's that has a leader so to speak yes right? a leader and okay. in a circle yeah okay. you'll find you'll find that these high control groups they have a leader who is very narcissistic right. um often a sociopath slash psychotic slash um like pretty much all of those words that shit crazy yeah yeah <laughs> but then they they don't have they don't have any feeling for anybody else either right. yeah and there is always an inner circle even if they even if they don't actually use the term inner circle there is always an inner circle yeah so you have a hierarchy and okay. so that's what that's what I walked into. Right. And he was trying to create a new religious order. Okay. Um, and really that was just a guide to get people to live there. Sure. And he, so we then had to take vows of poverty, chastity and obedience. Okay. And which, I mean, I have a photo of me doing that, but... Um, my mouth said the words, but my heart and my soul certainly weren't in it, in it right. at all. Right. Um, and so, yeah, then we lived there. We lived there for a total of 10 years. So we moved there in February 1997. Okay. And then in the year 2000, in January 2000, I figured out what was happening because mm -hmm. there, were, there were, as I mentioned before, 180 people living there. Yeah. And um, there were some quite large families who had teenage girls. Yeah. Now, these girls, there seemed to be quite a few of these 17-year-old girls pregnant. Mm. And when I asked, and they didn't have any boyfriends, so when I asked about, you know, like, oh, who's the father? They were right. like, yeah, sure. That's the forbidden question. Yeah. Don't, you know, like um, it's, you know, don't ask, don't ask any questions. It's a mystical baby. Oh. And I and I'm thinking to myself, mm-hmm, sure, sure right. we have, yep, yeah, sure we have, yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Then, and so then I thought, okay, when people started going, shh, I thought, yeah. okay, then um, I'll go back to my practice of um, people watching. I, that's one of my favourite, right. always been one of my favourite practices. Observing, yep. Observing, watching. And so for the so up until the year 2000, probably for the year or 18 months beforehand, I'd been watching I'd been watching the interactions between different people, between the leader, between young girls, between, you know, all of this. Yeah. And so I, I figured out, I'd put all the jigsaw puzzle pieces together and I figured out that he was the one that was impregnating these girls. Mm. Now, I, at that point, I thought that he was only having sex with them when they were 16. And, see, he was already married for the second time and it had a total of... 10 children with between the two wives right between the two wives and um and he like he was in his 40 he was in his mid 40s and here he right. was having sex with these girls and like in Australia the age of consent is 16 okay. however that was the extent of my knowledge i knew that the age of consent age of consent was 16 right however to me, it was just wrong on so many levels, right? And it was disgusting on so many levels. Yeah, it just. Uh, and I and when I figured it out, I said to my husband, I said, 
this is disgusting. It is right. disgusting. It is wrong, and I don't want to be here. And what um, did he, what did he say? Be quiet he just, or don't rock the boat or. Yeah, well, he's basically said, "Oh, yeah, don't rock the boat." It's uh, you know, I, you know, we just don't understand everything because you know the Virgin Mary has told him that he can do, you know, that he can do this, and you know, we're staying. And right. see, we had never shared a bank account. I had no money. I yeah. literally had nothing at my disposal. Yeah, literally nothing at my disposal. And now, at this time, nine children. Well, at that time, I'd had so year two thousand. I was pregnant with number seven number okay yeah so mm. nothing you, uh, nothing. not a pot to piss in no money no resources nope. and nope, six children and one on the way so I can understand yeah. how you feel like well what am I gonna do <laughs> exactly and see yeah. not only that not only that um we in that 10 years the world was apparently ending every six months so right. we were always we were always on high alert to prepare for any punishments or chastisements that could come at any time right hoarding we food water wow clothing we were we had measured black plastic to fit on the windows um because apparently when these chastisements came hell would be opened the oh. devils would walk the devils would walk the earth and if we were to look out the windows and see these devils we would die okay on top of that um apparently um young children in order to be saved from these punishments could be raptured at any time okay. which meant they could just go poof and they're like one one second they're here one second they're not body and soul they're gone with no trace and you know and it was for their safety wow so if you imagine wow. all of that pressure plus plus you're attending prayers three times a day yeah plus not only looking after my own children being pregnant and that all the women in that community, right? So probably over half, yeah, probably more women than men, I would say, mm -hmm. in the community. So we had to, um, we had to prepare, make, and serve every meal. Two me like yeah. no, two meals a day. Thank God right. it wasn't three. Right. But so we had to do all of like the menu planning, all the preparation, all the cooking, all the serving, and then all the clean up afterwards. Wow, this is so like. It's just out of this world. So so you imagine all of those pressures yeah. on me as an individual. Right. right. And so I and so at, in that moment when my husband said no we're, uh, we're staying. I just thought okay, I've got to I was always the type of mother to keep the kids close to me anyway. So I made sure that they because our 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 house was a bit off to the to one side so we weren't smack bang in the middle of it thank god right um so i kept all of my kids close to me and i kept a real good eye on them and i tried to be the best mother that i could be yeah and then um in 2004 so four years on i was pregnant with my last child and my husband decided that he wanted to be a married priest now there are no married priests in the Western, in Western Catholicism. Okay. And because, again, you've got to remember in my head I was still very Catholic thinking. Right. And um, but the leader had said that any man that wanted to be a married priest had to ask the permission of his wife. Okay. And my ex-husband did not. He just announced one day at breakfast that he was going to be ordained as a priest um, the next week. Okay. And I 
and and for me I was shattered on so many levels because the marriage was never great anyway right so we were never really that close but the thing was that I like I can express it better now because I've had the time to actually think about it and work sure. through the levels Process. but I was sh- yeah. I was shattered on so many levels because I um I I knew that there was no end to this. It, we were just going in deeper. Right. In, in living here, we were never, ever going to move. I I felt so, like I was six months pregnant. And I, so you imagine, I, so I knew that there was no way out. Yeah. Um, I felt totally helpless. Yes. I felt like he was basically having an affair because I knew that this was something that he, you know, like he, he wanted this more than he wanted me. Right. How was I going to look after? Yeah. Yeah. There was just so many levels. It it would just take too long to explain. And um, I, and in that instant, I knew our marriage was over. Mm. But I, in knowing that it was over, on the other hand, I didn't have any resources. I didn't know what to do next. I I literally did not know what to do next. And um, so anyway, he went ahead and became a, a married priest. Okay. It absolutely devastated me. Um, but then I got thinking and I thought, well, okay, on one hand the leader's saying, let you know, you all have to follow the rules of the Catholic Church. He used to get up there and speak for hours, literally hours, right. on, you know, you have to obey the rules of the Catholic Church. And so, like, for me personally, I was, I was, and there was quite a few other very good people there following the rules of the Catholic Church. Right, right. But he, he was not. He was literally right. breaking every rule in the book. Right. So I started writing letters to him and I just brought up three questions. They were doctrinal questions okay. to do with the rules and rules of the Catholic Church. And basically I was saying, okay, these three, you're, you're standing up there in the pulpit telling us that we have to obey the rules of the Catholic Church. These are the three main rules that you are breaking right now. So how are you, like, how, how can you um, explain that to me? Right. Like, I knew it wasn't possible. I right. knew that he wasn't being congruent, but I wanted him to explain it to me. Right. Now, I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying to be a smart ass. I was literally, you know. Yeah. genuinely asking questions and um and this these anyway. letters that you wrote were to the leader right yeah the leader that was now allowing other people to not follow the rules like your yeah. husband yeah exactly right so then I thought so anyway he got his he got his sidekick to answer the first two letters and basically it was bullshit yeah, and because all he was saying was, "Oh, the Virgin Mary told me," blah 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 blah, and it, none of it was based on the rules of the Catholic Church. Right. So I wrote a third letter, and yep. literally, I've still got the letters. There's like they are literally only two pages long. They're very clear. They're very concise, and they only bring up the three doctrinal issues I was asking. Right. Um, on the third go, he was really, really cheesed off. Yeah. And he said, how dare you even ask these questions again? Um, the priest has already answered them and, you know, what do you think you're doing? Right. Also, you're attending church um, not on this property. You're going to the outside church. What really is going on? Right. And um, because in that interim, I had decided that I would no longer participate in anything to do with the community. Okay. So I, as a slight tangent, when one feel, and this is what I do teach women now, you might feel like you don't have a choice at all. Yeah. 
but you can find at least one thing that you can dig your heels in or, or, you know, make a different choice about. And for me, I had no money at my disposal. I had no friends. I had no contacts. I had literally nothing. And one Sunday I decided that I would pick up all of my eight kids and go to the church in the outside, like the, just the local parish church. Okay. And you have to remember that we had been told that we would not be welcome in those churches. Right. They would know us. Obviously they would because of the way we were dressed and covering our hair. Yeah. So if we were, um, they would literally stand on the pulpit and point us out to right. the whole congregation. You would be shunned publicly, right. Absolutely. Shunned, humiliated, embarrassed, yeah. everything. Yeah. So you have to see that this was a really big thing. I had. Big, at that yeah. Point, you took a big risk. At that point, I had eight children aged 12 down to like six months. Wow. And I got all of them ready by myself. Yeah. I took them all into the local, to mass into the local church. Yeah. And I huddled in the back seat. I was scared shitless. Yeah. Um, and nothing happened for the whole ceremony. And then I waited until the whole church was empty before I went out. Yeah. And when I went out, the priest was waiting for me and he shook my hand and he said, I'm so glad to see you. Please come again. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Is it lightning oh my- supposed to strike? <laughs> it was. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yes. So what? So that was another was telling- piece of your puzzle yeah. of. Okay, yeah, it doesn't all add up. And so I thought, yeah, that's right. And I thought, okay, you're lying. So I thought, okay, I'm going to keep going back to that church. Yeah. And then they've, they've got um, three or four churches in that parish. It's quite a big parish. So I actually went to another church in that parish and it was um, run by a Franciscan monk mm-hmm. and he was lovely. He yeah. welcomed me. He was beautiful. He was understanding. He was empathetic. It was yeah. Wonderful. So then I started, um, because I was going to church in the outside parish now, um, like obviously all of those priests, all of those people that went to those churches knew about the cult because it had been there for so many years. So they were actually very welcoming and very helpful. And um, they supported, like I opened up to a couple of them and they were very helpful with advice and with support. Um, so that they, so then um, in the meantime, I mentally removed myself from everything to do with right. the community, like yeah. all the people. Um, they had actually been told not to talk to me, and I knew that mm-hmm. because every time I would say hello, a cheery hello, they'd like turn their face and they'd be like, "Right, she's a lovely girl, and I really, really want to say hi, but I can't." Right, and I knew, I knew that. Right. So I didn't. I didn't take offence, and I would purposely say hello because I knew that it would send them into a quandary. But that's right. okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, then in August two thousand and six, I had the local sheriff show up on my doorstep with papers for a mortgage repossession because the leader had been paying the mortgage on our house, oh. and in. In, two th- in August 2002, he had been arrested for pedophilia, oh. um, but he hadn't yet been jailed. Okay. So he had, instead of paying, see, I, I brought about that eviction even though I had no idea that I did it. Right. Because he got arrested in August 2002. 
Um, in May 2006, I started writing writing those letters. Right. He became pissed off and then he decided, see, he was gutless and spineless as well because right. he, he, instead of actually forcing us out and getting rid of me, yeah. he decided not to pay the mortgage okay. so that then there would be a mortgage repossession. You see right. what I mean? So it was yep. like a backhanded way of getting yep. us out. Yep. Don't worry, I was happy. So the sheriff, <laughs> sure. the sheriff shows up on my doorstep uh, in August 2006 and he hands me this wad of papers, which was a mortgage repossession. I had no idea what a mortgage repossession was. Right. But all all I clung on to was you have to leave in 12 days. You're like, and yes. I, that's exactly what I did. I go, oh my god, I am so thrilled. I yeah. don't think he I don't think he quite was expecting that reaction. Right. Um I said, look, you just tell me what I have to do. He said, okay, in 12 days you have to leave here. He said, you need to find someplace else to live and um, if you can't find a place to rent, you know, privately, you can go to the Housing Commission. He said, I'm here to help you, you know, in any way I can. Right. Um, So now you had a resource. You finally had a resource. Yeah, I finally had a resource. So um, I found a house and it it was hard. Um, but one of the contacts that I had made, um, she, um, cause I, in the interim, I had sent my children to, um, a Christian school okay. and, um, one of those on, so the sheriff showed up on my doorstep on the Friday on the Sunday, I had this lady knock on my door. Now I'd heard about her. She was the wife of, um, a guy that my husband had done some work for. Mm. Now I'd heard about her, but I'd never met her. And she knocked on the door and she come in. And she goes, "Hi, I'm Margie. Um, I've heard that you're getting, you know, you've received um, an eviction notice, and I've cleared my diary and I'm going to help you um, find a house. I'm going to go with you to the rental inspections and help you find a house." Oh, oh my god, because. Um, she was very Christian, but she's not one of those Bible bashing Christians. She was okay. one of those ones that really is empathetic, is compassionate, is helpful. And like I, having been brought up so judgmental and all of that, like I'd never seen, I'd never experienced an actual, like the actual Christian virtues in practice. Right, right. And she did not judge me. She did not. She was just like, I'm here to help you and yeah. I will help you. Right. And I I could not believe it. And she she helped me find a place and I found a place. On the day of moving, she actually organised other people to help us. Wow. And then she said to me, she was helping me to carry things into the house, into the new house, and she said to me, um, do you want, can I, can I rearrange your pantry because I, I really love rearranging pantries. I said, <laughs> yeah, cool, go for it. Right. She disappeared for a while and she had came, she came back. She actually filled my pantry with food. Oh, wow. And oh, wow. I like, and she organized women from the Christian school to bring meals for wow. every night for yeah. the next week. I like this, I, I could not believe sure. the, the kindness. The yeah. kindness of strangers. I right. could not believe it. Right. Because that was something amazing. That was something new to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I it, it, it was um, honestly, it was amazing. Wow. It was and it really warmed my heart. Yeah. And it made me see that people like it it was it was like night and day. It was, right. you know, for having been brought up 
and, you know, in the sect and then in the cult. So basically I had 32 years of indoctrination and then to be shown this beautiful, compassionate, empathetic kindness from strangers that weren't judging me, that weren't guilting me, that weren't telling me I was wrong, that weren't criticising me. I, I, I just... You know, it, it was amazing. I right. just couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. Wow. So that's what, that's that's the story in the short Right. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, you know, like this, this time passes and, you know, as an outsider, we think, wow, 10 years, like mm. you, you went through that for 10 years and for 10 years, you knew you didn't like it. You knew they were full of shit. But you had babies and you you mm-hmm. you didn't have a voice. And well, the voice you did have, you weren't allowed to use. And mm-hmm. you know, what do you think? What do you think was finally the straw that broke the camel's back for you to just that was it? Was it when your when the husband um wanted to become the priest? That was it? Well, the thing was that not only was he wanting to become a priest, he was a gambler, he was an online gambler. And he gambled away quarter of a million dollars over three years. Oh, my God. And yet when I went to ask him for $20, $30 for shoes for the children, oh, we can't afford it. Of course. And I, look, I did not want my children to be brought up, you know, to be brought up the way I was brought up. Sure. And, you know, I had five living daughters. So I gave birth to six daughters, three sons. But I had five living daughters and, I mean, I just did not. I wanted my daughters to be fierce, to be independent, to, yeah. be, to have a voice, to yeah. be themselves. Sure, you know, to, power. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, and there was just a day when, you know, I, he was sitting gambling. We were still living in the cult and he was sitting there gambling. And I, I remember I just walked up to him. I don't even know. <clears throat> what happened between my head and my mouth, but those words, they just, <laughs> fell, they just fell out of my mouth. I just yeah. said, if you don't stop this, you're going to lose your wife and children. Yeah. And he did not even, he did not react. He did not look at me. He just kept staring at the screen and he just went, don't threaten me because it doesn't work. And right. I basically went a silent F you. Right. Um, and then I thought, well, it's on me. I had yeah. these... I had these eight children, yes. Christina, and I, I had, they, were looking, they were looking to me for stability and yeah. security. When we moved, I had eight children aged 16 down to two. And I, and honestly, it was only a couple of months beforehand that I'd opened up my own bank account. Right. Um, that I'd got like the ATM card. I'd learned how to use an ATM machine. I was, I had um, benefits um so single mother benefits um because even though we were still married per se um like we hadn't had sex for a few years so we were like separated under one roof okay say right um so I applied for single mother benefits and I got those so that's what I was living on at the time so it was you know so I learned to manage my own money but see, then it wow. was, so then we moved out and we were free. Right. But then what do I do with that freedom? Because I realized that I was socially backward. I was educationally right. backward. Right. I, 
like my you know, even from my my dress, people could tell that I was a bit weird. Right. Just because um, you removed yourself from that situation, it wasn't removed from you. Yes, it exactly. It doesn't work that way. I mean, you had mm. so many years of this programming, yep. if you will. That yeah, it, exactly. You don't just turn it off because you moved out, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. And see, this is where I, for me now, when I speak, this is because I, I am now I am I've made myself the voice for those sort of people yeah that move out because it is it is difficult and there's a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists that do not understand what you've so aptly expressed right. is that you've removed yourself from the situation but the situation hasn't been removed from you That's right. because then you've got to go through and I and when I've described this people like even psychologists have said how did you teach yourself that and I I don't know but I just I knew that if I, I knew that A, I wanted a different life for myself and my kids. Yeah. B, I knew that I had to create it myself. Yeah. C, I had no flipping idea how I was going to do that, right. but I had to make a start somehow. Yeah. So I taught myself to peel back the layers and ask questions. Mm. And like, you know, for me, the first one was, okay, I have to fix my dress like right. like um, because I had never owned a pair of jeans. I had never worn a bikini. I had never had my ears pierced. Right. It took me two years afterwards. So I was 38 years old before I owned my first pair of jeans, before I wore my first bikini right. and got my ears pierced. And what was that um, like when you – please, just, you have to describe this for us. When you put on your first bikini, what was that like? Well, at first I felt really exposed. Right, of course. And you've got to you've got to remember I was 38 and I'd given yeah. birth nine times. So I'm not saying right. I was perfect. <laughs> but you know, I honestly, in my mind, like in my mind, I'm like, I put it on, like I was bound and determined I was going to wear a bikini because yeah. I thought this was this was forcibly I was not given the choice when I was a kid. Right. So um I'm going to wear a bikini. Right. So right. I, I bought one. I wore, I went to the beach and I wore it and I felt, I felt really exposed. I felt like, um, I felt like people were staring at me. Sure. Like I, I felt that, but in right. my head I'm going, I'm going in my head, I'm thinking, um, there's like a hundred or 200 other women wearing bikinis. <laughs> right. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to blend in. Right. Um, so, but, but also in that, it, 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 I had simultaneous kind of um, feelings because although I felt exposed and. Yeah, exposed and liberated, uh, I'm sure. And, and, yeah, but liberate, liberated and naughty. Yeah. And right. also I would have loved to have seen the expression on my mum's face. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Plus, I also I also knew if I if I didn't do this, well, then what kind of example was I being to my daughters? Right, right, right. Because there's no point in me going, oh, I want my daughters to be free and liberated and everything else, but then I'm still stuck in the past ages. Right. Sure, sure. 
And because so, I also knew that if I didn't change like everything from the inside out, right? well, then my kids would leave home at 18 and not want to come back right. because mum would still be considered old fashioned and, you know, stuck in the mud. Sure, sure. So, so bring us up to speed with these kids. I mean, <laughs> I can only imagine that, you know, because they were exposed for some of them, like for your <clears throat> When you left with the 12 year old or the 16 year old, they were exposed for a very, their whole mm-hmm. lives too. So there, I'm sure there was a, a lot of work that still needed to be done, but I've got to imagine that at some point as the children have grown up and the more you speak and the more you share your story, I mean, they've got to be quite proud of mom because oh, they are. They I'm are. sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, what an amazing mother. Oh, thank you. To, well, to make the decisions that you made, to face the fears that you faced, to walk into those scary, raw situations on purpose because you had a purpose, because you wanted different for yourself and for your children. I've just got to say my hat is off to you as a mom. Thank you. So tell well, us about these kids. <laughs> well, they are they are proud. Um, they call me a badass. Yeah. Um, so, and my eldest daughter said to me, um, she said to me, you know, Mum, she said, you don't take enough credit. You actually cracked open that cult. And I, right. when I think back, I did because when I started writing those letters, there was like a community council that the leader had chosen. So there was like 12 or 15 people that basically they were yes people, you know, most of them. Of course. And um, so, of course, when I wrote the first letter, that was presented to the community council and, um, you know, the priest answered it and then the second one was presented. And then after the second one, you know, I had a couple of them come to me and these two people I actually did like. They, were, they had also kicked up a shindy about a few other things, not doctrinal things, but just a couple of other things. Right. And they came to me and they said, look, Claire, you've written two letters. Um, you really, you know, they've been answered. You really need to put it let, to bed. Yeah, let it go. And um, I just, look, and I just sort of said, you know, I just smiled sweetly and said nothing. Yeah. And then, um, and then like I wrote the third letter and then that's when, you know, the leader got pretty cheesed off. And then, you know, but then it actually, those two, they were, they were not married. They were, they were both married to other people and had families of their own. Those two with their families actually moved out before I got to move out. Wow. They left. Right. And it was because of my persistence in writing those letters. Yes. So my eldest daughter said to me, she said, you don't take enough credit, mum, for actually breaking open that cult. Right. Right. And like getting people to see the light. Yeah. And um and see like whenever I speak, whenever I have an interview or anything like that, I get a thousand messages in capitals going, We love you, Mom, you are amazing, you look Yay. amazing, you sound amazing. You, yes, yes. You know, yes. you're getting the story out there. We're yeah. so proud, blah, blah, blah. You know, so and I mean, I'm so proud of them all. I have um my two oldest sons serve one in the Air Force, one in the Navy. Um, I have my eldest daughter who works for Defence, so yep. she helps Defence veterans. Um, my second daughter actually has a boyfriend who is in the Army, so we've got all represented across the board. Right, right. Um, 
have another daughter who wants to join the police force. All of them I notice. Um, Wanna ha- they're, they're of service to others. Yeah. All yeah. of them have this, they do, they, they look for more meaning in life. Yeah. They are kind, they're empathetic, they're compassionate, they're thoughtful, yeah. and they do want to serve and they want to make the world a better place. And I'm very proud that I, like I have had that influence on them. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you, you saved them you know you saved, you saved yourself yeah. and and you saved them mm-hmm. and um i love that there's a not that your story <laughs> is ending but you have a, a what we would call a happy ending by finding max right mm. so max is is your current husband and, mark, mark. and oh i'm sorry mark mark um, yeah is your current husband and soulmate and love of your life. And Mm -hmm. you now get to experience marriage in a much different way. (laughs) A very, a very, well, see, the odd thing is too, I start, I started dating for the first time in my life. Yeah. After I'd been married for 17 years, divorced and had nine children. Right. Like I did it completely backwards. Right. (laughs) So, so yeah, but it's, look, it's, for me, these past 13 and a half years, I've done, I've literally, when I, when I actually sit and think about it, I've lived two completely different lives so far. Right, right. I've, because now, like honestly, like you, you mentioned about asking questions and for me, one, one thing that people say to me a lot and I know that um, Mark says it to me as well, he said, See, I didn't, for me personally, I didn't see um, growing up without a television as a bad thing. Right. Um, because when you don't have something, you don't miss it. Sure. So, um, and even now, I'm not a big TV watcher. It has, I, I do not like anything reality. I do not like anything that does not, um, does not like work my mind. I have right. to, you know, I, that doesn't mean to say I watch everything serious and I watch documentaries, but it has sure. to, has to really intrigue me. Yeah. But, Mark, Mark has said to me, and so have other people, have said to me, because you didn't get the chance to watch like lots of movies and TV programs and just shit basically, right. it's, almost like, it's almost like your mind is more pure and more, more pure which, or, or less cluttered and right. it leads to more curiosity. Yes, right. You, you so, have more natural curiosity, right. Yeah, because for me, I would rather have a meaningful conversation with somebody. Yeah. And again, Mark was very, he was amazed when he first met me. He said, what is it with you? He said, within five minutes, you, can, you found out whether they're married, divorced, how many kids they've got, where they were, <laughs> who, who they know, who they're related to. Yeah. And But see, the thing is, I don't just fire questions at people. It's just that we start a conversation and before I know it, it's just like, I yeah. know these things. Yeah. You're, I don't gen- know. you're genuinely interested. Well, um, for the sake of time, I want to wrap this up. Uh, there's been all sorts of comments coming in uh, uh, while we've been on together. So I wanted to read a couple of these to you. Um, there's a Lisa here who says she was raised in a doomsday cult from the age of five until her escape at age 27. She was featured in an investigation discovery documentary series last year, and she's writing a memoir as well about her experiences. Yep. Um, About her experiences as a person whose entire youth was hijacked, she says. Yeah. 
and she always loves to find and hear from other cult survivors. So she's very grateful for you to be here and just a lot of uh, comments that are thanking you for sharing your story and um, congratulating you on, you know, being of service to others who, you know, are, are trying to get out of this, this, these types of situations. And I had no idea there was that there was so much of this going on in Australia. I mean, I have no idea how about, about the States, but my God, 3000 cults. In Australia, yeah, there's there's all these little groups that you just wouldn't know, and yeah. they just come out of the woodwork. But I do want to say that to all of your listeners and mm-hmm. to anybody else that watches this, like, feel free. I have a I have a Facebook page, so feel yeah. free to message me and ask me questions if you want. Like, I will answer anything. Yeah. Um, and I don't. There's no question off limits, and there's no questions that are considered stupid because right. I do realize that. Uh, see, for me, it's. Um, I found it very hard to actually come out and and talk about my past. And But then when I did, I found that people were more curious. Oh, look, I was lucky. I felt there was a lot of people that were more curious about it and, you know, encouraged me to write my story. Yes. And, um, but I know it's not that way for everybody. You know, like I've spoken to some people who have been stalked, who have been threatened, who have been harassed. I've been lucky that that didn't happen to me. Right. However... The thing is that it is very hard, like like the girl that you just mentioned, you know, she's 27. Like yeah. you imagine coming out at 27 and she's not normal, so right. to speak. Right. And um, she's, got to re- she's got to learn how to fit in into the world. And it's yeah. so hard because then when you start making friends with people, especially of your own age, they're going to assume that you, ha- you went to a normal school, you had a normal upbringing, right. you went to college, you went to university, you've travelled, you've lived with boyfriends, you've had sure. a couple of relationships and here you are, you could very well still be a virgin at 27 and there's right. nothing wrong with that, I'm just right. saying, but you feel so inadequate Out and so place. behind and yeah. it's like where do I fit in? Yeah. I don't fit in anywhere. I'm right. weird. Yeah, right, right. Well, thank you for saying that, you know, um, I'll put a link to your Facebook page in the comments so that uh, yes, please, if yeah. anybody wants mm-hmm. to reach out to you and, and before we let you go, please tell us more about your book. Where can we find it? Um, what are the resources to stay connected with you? I believe you have a website, got a couple mm-hmm. of Ted talks. So tell the audience, please, all the different ways that they can continue to learn more and continue to be inspired by what you've been through and, and what you are now doing to be of service to others. Okay. Well, my website is claireashman.com. So okay. it's Claire with an I. And I have my email address on there as well. So if anybody wants to email me, they can email me. I have a link there for my book. So you can get it as um, an email book and you can also just um there like it'll take you to a link where you can buy the hard copy in your country um i have a facebook page so people can message me private message me through there i do have a couple of videos and things up on there as well um if they type my name into youtube you can see all my four tedx talks my I've got podcast interviews. I've got um, TV and radio interviews on there as well. Right. I'm pretty sure they're all up. Um, 
But for me now, I um, I mentor and coach women, and I help them through the th- through just what I've described for yeah. myself. So yeah. they may not they may not have come from a strict religious background. It may be a, a cultural a strict cultural background. Sure. It right. may be uh, a relationship. Yeah. So um, I help women now to find find like the choices that where they think they don't have any right so and and help them to make those decisions about you know what they want their life to look like where they want to go mm-hmm. and what they want to do to find their passion to live life on their terms yeah and um I do a lot of speaking as well and um like I can do that physically but I can always also do it remotely so right. any if any organisations would like to, you know, pay me to speak or to or to give a talk in any organisation or in a school or a group, yeah. um, I can do that via this medium as well. So fantastic! It's this. Yeah. We're we're so honoured to have somebody like you share your story. We have hundreds of thousands of women in our beautiful disaster tribe, and this tribe is made up of women who have been through hell and back and also women who are still in hell. Um, mm. and, and whether it's a cult or a um, terrible living situation, mm. both share the similarity that you can feel like you're in prison and that you don't know how to escape and that mm. you don't have any resources to help get you out. So what I ask our audience, all of our beautiful disasters out there, is if you find yourself having some similarities with the story that Claire has shared with us today, please reach out to her. She has um, already opened herself up and said, you know, you can private message her. And even if it's just asking questions that begin to, to plan a change in your life, um, asking those questions can be incredibly important asking those questions helps save Claire's life and the life mm. of her children. Um, so please, everybody out there, you know, if, if, if you find that you are in a situation that you'd like some help getting out of, use the resources that you do have when they present themselves. You can reach out to us. You can reach out to Claire. Um, we're all here to support you. That's what we do in the Beautiful Disaster Tribe. And Claire, thank you again so much for sharing yourself and your story. And we're just so grateful that you um, honored us with your uh, presence and your story. And we really hope to stay connected with you. So a really big thank you. Mm. Us. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, look, it was amazing that Shelby reached out and just yeah. emailed. I thought that yeah. was wonderful. Thank you for having me. And I really love I really love the term beautiful disaster because, you know, we can have disasters in our lives, but then yeah. it's how we react to them and how we can create beauty out of that. Exactly. And, yeah, I, I'm honoured. Like, on, honestly, if, I, if I've only helped one person in sharing my story today with you, like, I feel like my job is done. Like, yeah. honest to God, to me, I want to leave a legacy. It's about me changing the world to make it a better place for yeah. all women. For Ultimately, it was for my daughters first. And if those yeah. ripples go out and help other women, that's, you know, it, it's the time to rise now, honest to God. It, it really absolutely is. is. And, and I'm so um, 
uh, honored and humbled that here we are, you know, two different women with two different stories, two different experiences. But what we share is that it's time to rise. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so very much again for being on and uh, we will stay in contact with you. Um, Again, I posted the uh, website, but it's claireashman.com and Claire, have a wonderful day. Thank you again for being with us and we will talk with you soon. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day yourself. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.